Are you ready for more miracles and magic in your life? Rainbows in Real Life is dedicated to bringing positivity to the forefront, celebrating the power and promise of the human spirit, and supporting each other in challenging times. Together, we are finding ways to make the future bigger and brighter for all of us. We will be sharing stories of perseverance, possibility, and promise in engaging with experts that are making a real difference in the world. Join us live on Facebook on Thursday evenings to engage in the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. Hello, brilliant souls. Welcome to Rainbows in Real Life, the show dedicated to bringing positivity to the forefront, celebrating the power and promise of the human spirit, and supporting each other in challenging times. We believe when we join together, we all live better lives, and we are exploring ways we can do that in today's ever-changing world. I'm Pamela Aubrey, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Christopher Rausch, the No Excuses Coach, and our very special guest, Danny Mendoza. So welcome to the show, you guys. What's going on? What's going on? Good to see you, Pam. Good to see you, Danny. How are you guys doing this afternoon? I'm doing good. Thank you all for, for having me on the show. I'm excited to, to talk about foster care and see what, you know, we can teach people about it, you know, and talk about some of the issues that are going down right now. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you being here. And for you guys that are tuning in uh, either live or uh, on the replay, as always, we appreciate you engaging with us, either your thoughts or your comments, or of course, your questions for any one of us. So whether again, live or on the replay, just make sure you guys are engaging with us. Uh, we'd love to have this conversation with you uh, and just dive right into it uh, um, and just kick off into it. Hi, Twain. Welcome to the show. Great to have you. Great to have you all here and super excited to jump into this conversation with you, Danny. And before we do that, I just wanted to pose a question for the audience to think about and answer. And also, thank you for sharing this out. We really appreciate you being here and also appreciate you sharing. So I would like to ask everyone, how do you think improving the foster care system would improve our society? So that's part of what we're going to talk about tonight. And I want to sort of jump into that a little bit with you, Danny. And just first, though, tell us a little bit about you and some of the backstory to Together We Rise. Yeah, so my name is Danny. I'm the founder of Together We Rise, and uh, we're a nonprofit that helps uh, children in foster care nationwide. Um, a little bit how I started was, you know, uh, basically in a nutshell, I had a family member that was nine years old and went homeless and was living in a car. And, you know, I was going to Cal State Fullerton, just trying to be a lawyer, doing my thing. And, you know, when I learned about it, I, you know, it was just kind of, kind of shocking. It's never kind of hit home. You, you hear about it, you see it when you're driving. It's, it doesn't, you know, it's not your family, so it doesn't affect you. Um, but when it happened to me, I just, I was shocked and didn't know that it could really happen. And, you know, I was just trying to help him in, in that process. I, you know, I didn't have a place of my own and didn't have space where I was at. And I was just like, well, I've heard about this thing, foster care. I know nothing about it, but I knew that this kid on my soccer team when I was younger, you know, lived in one and he didn't have a family. So how could I get my, my cousin in there? And at that time, you know, it was, it was unknown and, and during the research process, I was just kind of stunned and shocked on how terrible the system was, you know, and no fault of their own. It was just so many complications and lack of foster parents, you know, kids going through trauma, 
people not being prepared for those youth going into the system. And I was, you know, I, I couldn't put my cousin in there. I just it's, mm -hmm. I had to do more. And, yeah. and so that's kind of, you know, where the idea started. And, you know, as I started, and I think the one thing that stood out to me was uh, my parents are immigrants here and, you know, they came from Mexico and they, they've always told me I could be whatever, whatever I wanted to be if, as long as I did the work and we were the greatest country in the world. And to see that, children in foster care were the government's kids and they didn't have those same opportunities. Like, you know, I was dumbfounded. I, I it didn't make sense to me because my, my father really sold me this dream. And, you know, for her, for him, it, it was, he was living in the dream, you know, what he wanted in his mind and to give us that opportunity. And so, you know, I just decided that I had to do something that was, you know, more meaningful with my life. And, you know, it was hard for my parents, but, because they've always wanted me to be this rich, successful lawyer. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, you're the one that needs help. Right. <laughs> but, uh, we were able to uh, kind of just just change the, the way I looked at life and just be more appreciative of everything they provided for me and seeing how I could provide that for a child in care. So what were, you, what were your next steps in, in doing that and getting into the foster care system and realizing that it was really jacked up? You're going to school, you're going to Cal State Fullerton, you're wanting to become a lawyer. What, what kind of opportunities did you have to change and what did you learn about the foster care system to be able to help your cousin? Oh man, the, it's not even the opportunities, it was the challenges, right? I was 19 years old and uh, wow. uh, you have to be 21 to really be involved in the foster care system. I signed up to be a CASA, which is a court appointed special advocate here in Orange County. And I went to the first two classes and they eventually came time to ask me for my age. And they're like, oh, you're too young. And I was like, well, I still want to help. Like, how can I help? And that's really what, where it began was I was, you know, I didn't want my age to stop me from being able to help. So the, the original focus was, All right, how, how can me and my friends still make a difference? Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up, you know, going to a local group home and convincing the volunteer coordinator to, to let me just play soccer with the kids on Wednesdays. Wow. And then from there, you know, they started kind of like trusting me and got to know me. And, you know, I, I wanted to be able to do more. And starting a charity was essentially the, the loophole to be able to help these kids without having to worry about my age. Because, you know, you, you come in as an organization versus a 19-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. So I just went to LegalZoom.com <laughs> and filled out a form you know, put my credit card in and then it asked me for uh, your treasurer and your secretary. And so my best friend's mom was a secretary at the school. So I put him down and then my friend had just gotten his first job at Bank of America. So I put him down as a treasurer that none of them knew. Um, <laughs> ended up calling them after and that's how we started. And, you know, you know, I think two weeks later, I set up a meeting at uh, New York Pizzeria here in Chino and 20 to 30 of my friends showed up and I was just like, whoa, like, so, All these young people want to make a difference. And that's that's literally how we started. That is just really, truly amazing. I mean, you really probably had no idea at that time what you were really getting yourself into. I mean, you probably didn't at that point really even understand the system itself. And so tell us about what that was like, just you know, going into the system, seeing what was happening, and then trying to figure out what you could do to really make a difference. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, going into the system and seeing how com complicated it was and there wasn't social media like how it is today. There was MySpace and it was still kind of, uh, you know, high school kids and, you know, college kids were starting to get on and it was still kind of doing like being fresh to the world. And for me, like 
meeting social workers. They were so confused. They were just like, what do you want to do? Like, why do you want to help us? And like, you're, you know, Tom's Shoes was like barely like starting to be popular. And, I, and to me, I credit Tom's Shoes for really making giving back a, a mm. normal and cool thing at that point. And so it was, it was a lot of confusion. You know, I really had to put my money where my mouth was. And, you know, I, you know, I started donating a, my, basically my entire paycheck to help kids and people started to see it. And you know, our big thing was, hey, let's just pay for everything. Let's show people what we're doing. And if people like it, they'll help because no one's going to trust us. I mean, I, I did not have the best reputation in high school. You know, I played football. I, I honestly, I, I was a bully and I thought that was cool at, at that point growing up. You know, we had, I could remember like going to, uh, to my job in college and, you know, interacting with the first, you know, person that identified as gay in my entire life. Like, I was like, whoa, like, I've seen a gay person. Now I'm like, interacting with one. And I learned so much about the world through him and his perspective. And he even told me, like, as I was telling him about foster care, he's like, a lot of kids in foster care identify as LGBTQ. And it's like 30% or something crazy. Like, I was just like, whoa, like, and it just gave me a new perspective and excitement. And when I met the social workers, they were, you know, I just had to to show them that, you know, there's a lot of great people that want to help if they could provide us a, a path. And that's basically where it started. Wow. And, and I appreciate you so much for sharing that. I mean, being 19 years old and getting a calling to go out there and, and help people and give your entire paycheck. I mean, man, mad respect to you, mad respect to you. Um, and thinking about what happened, I, I, your, your cousin sticks in my head. Whatever became of that situation, were you able to provide any assistance to him? And, and how is he doing now? Yeah, so I was able to provide some assistance, uh, not as much as I wanted to. Um, uh, he, he taught me the, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And as I traveled throughout the country and learned and met group homes, uh, I, I was I had the, the privilege to sit with the Secretary of Education at the time about 10 years ago at a panel with foster youth from around the country. And every single kid said, you could not have gave me anything more to change my outcome. It was it was until I went to jail that I decided to make a difference for myself. It was until I had a child and I looked into their eyes. That's when I, I decided to change and, you know, applied. I was like, that's where my cousin is. That's mm-hmm. where he's at. It's, you know, I established a, a foster care scholarship in his name, which is the largest in the country for uh, any foster year. And he I gave him the application and didn't put his name on it. You know, it, it wasn't, you know, he didn't want the handout. He just like, it was so confused. I was like, all you got to do is get a reference letter and fill this out. And I didn't tell him the amount. I didn't do all that. You know, I met with him. I had lunch with him. And he just, he didn't do it. And it was just, he wasn't at the point where he wanted to help. And it, it was tough. And it was for me, I was like, well, look, like I have to move on. Like I literally just put myself in the most uncomfortable conversation when I got this scholarship, you know, utilizing your story and another student's story. And I asked that person if I could bring you on. And it was so, I was like, I don't want to ask for my family. Like I'm out here, like at that point, I was already helping a lot of kids. And, you know, I just, it taught me a lot about life. So a lot of my focus from there was how do I help kids that want the help? I think that's, yeah, that's huge. And, you know, I think Russell Brand always says that, you know, 
trauma is the gateway drug to you know all these other things all these other problems that people have in their life and i think you know that's kind of what you see in people when they've been through trauma is that they don't know how to receive anymore you know they've been in survival mode for so long that when you try to move them beyond that it's kind of like what that doesn't make any sense you know and so i'm curious you know now that you've kind of you've been working with the system for a while, what are some of the things that you see now that are better and things that haven't really changed and how, you know, those of us who are outside of all of this can have an impact? Yeah, I think a lot of things are better at, you know, I think we played a, a small role in it, but we, we definitely, you know, utilize our platform to, to educate people, but just, you know, finding ways to help foster youth. I think the mm -hmm. biggest misconception of foster care is that if, the only way to help a foster child is to be a foster parent. And that is, you know, absolutely not the case. And we pride ourselves on providing ways to help during the holidays, um, during back to school, you know, or creating a, a handful of different ways where you can help a child without having to make that big commitment. And I think now we're starting to see them everywhere. You know, we're starting to see the trash bags that they usually get when moving from home to home being replaced. You know, there's yeah, we've been doing it for a long time. There's a lot of small organizations that are popping up. You know, we're reaching out to them like, hey, if you guys are going to do it, give, here's where you can get your bags for the cheapest way. Like, mm -hmm. if you need help, let us know. Like, make sure people are giving you crappy stuff. Make them pay for a brand new bag. Like, here's the time when you should go to Walmart and try to get a sale. Like, and just really getting those people excited about bringing the, like change in their community. I think that's mm -hmm. huge. Just as a society as a whole during that time, and now, you know, just making sure people are aware that foster care doesn't mean that there's a bad kid. Like it has mm -hmm. nothing to do with that. Like no child for the most part, as a general statement, chose to be in foster care. You sure. know, they just, you know, together we rise, we call it the parent lottery. Like I hit the parent lottery. I was not rich. I never got what I wanted. <laughs> I can quote that, my parents have been mad, but I always sure. had what I needed. And these kids don't have that. Like they don't know what's right from wrong. They're still adjusting. That you know, and that trauma that they face. Oh my God! It's, it goes on for the rest of their entire lives. Like I mean, they suffer PTSD um, two to three times higher than war veterans because it happens at such a young age. Yeah. And there's, you know, once you turn 18, that's it. And I think they've, uh, the government has done a great job in many states in the past five, six years to extend it to 21. Now there's talks about 24. Now there's talks about how do we extend the mental health services till they're 40? Because the reality, like, you know, PTSD is real. And I think we've, as a society in the last 20 years, have started to understand that, like bullying, right? Like yeah. I unfortunately participated in that in high school because I thought it was a cool thing to do. Looking back at it, you know, I've reached out to so many people apologizing, saying like, whoa, mm -hmm. like, I just thought that was a cool thing to do. And and now we're learning that like, whoa, like, guys, this is, you know, like, I read stories online about how people were treated in the football locker room. And I'm like, that was, that was our locker room. Like, we thought that was normal. You know, now we're trying to see the effects. And I think that seeing society change and now understand mm -hmm. it, it's actually really helpful for foster youth as you know they're not just deemed as bad kids you know they're just kids that have been through trauma and now there's information and research out there to, to see that 
hey, these are some steps that we can do to help them. And now there's mm -hmm. trauma-informed care for foster parents, which is something we're working on right now to mm -hmm. educate folks. But it's, it's, it's really cool to see the positive changes that have been uh, happening all over. Obviously, when you're working with government, you know, it doesn't help it happen overnight. Yeah. But it's, you know, people have really stepped up, but there's, it's just, the, the future is bright. Um, it's not going to happen as fast as we all want. But I think social media has helped make people aware of how they can help and what the issues are. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you for, for sharing that, especially because that's what we're very passionate about is, is not just hearing the information, but being able to personally and collectively through our audiences uh, create that create that action that we need to take. So in your opinion, I mean, you said there's a lot of different things that we could do. Um, one of the things we've been talking about a lot lately with Black Lives Matter and everything else that's been going on is the fact that we as individuals have the right to vote. And I personally have realized that I have taken that uh, a little bit too uh, lackadaisically, I guess. And like, oh yeah, who's my city council person? Who's this person? Uh, you know, I'll just I'll just pick. What are some of the key offices that we can look at in order to really look at the foster care? Who oversees the foster care system? And how can we be able to be a little bit more cautious in who we vote for to make sure that they're supporting what it is that we need to do for the kids? Yeah, politics is a, is a tricky boat. I mean, there's no point yeah. in that one. I'll tell you that much. And the, you, know, you know, there's my personal beliefs and there's the organization beliefs. But uh, what I've learned about politics is the county of supervisors are some very, very powerful people. Um, I, I once asked myself, too, is how do we get involved? How do we get politicians involved? How do we get but it's county of supervisors are the people that disperse the money to the foster agencies, to the counties who then, you know, provide the services to, to the children. So, you know, I have no idea as an uninformed citizen who's on the county of supervisors. You know, there's just so many levels and foster care is a county level. It's not a city level. So, uh, you know, I'm here in Brea, right? So people are like, I want to help kids in Brea. Like I have no idea if there's a foster family in Brea or not. That's not how they're categorized, right? They sign up through, hey, I want to be a foster parent. And the agency you know, is registered through the county. So they place children in Orange County, not the city. And so you know, for the political side, county supervisors, who are they? I have no idea. I'm sure they're great people trying to do their best. Interesting. You're a nice well, person. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know that there are a lot of ways that parents can get involved, certainly, or just individuals, not just parents, but can get involved with your agency and, and help support you and what you're doing for these kids. So can you tell us a little bit about some of those projects and different ways that people can support you? Yeah, so so our biggest way of giving back is uh, we have programs from ways that are more hands-on involved. So we have uh, like these things called giving back boxes, which allow you to give back from home. Um, so we have one focus on the duffel bag um, to replace the trash bag. Um, so through our safer at home initiative things have changed a little bit just because we didn't want the families to go directly to the agency with the agency not wanting just a, a lot of people coming to their offices right now um, so what we do is we ship out kits for uh, your family or groups to get involved from your work to your church to your girl scout troop to just a family night um, you know one of our favorites that people do a lot is a girls wine night you know so we ship them a panel that they can decorate and that panel then gets placed on a duffel bag and then we ship that duffel bag over to a foster agency. Um, we also have skateboards that people buy unassembled and they build them together with their friends or families. Um, we have the same with birthday boxes. We have superhero boxes. Um, 
Next month, we're going to be launching STEM boxes. So that way we can get those over. So a lot of these activities are made that, you know, you're able to engage and learn about it and then pack it all up, send it back, and then we get it over to the foster agency either in your community or where the actual need is because, you know, the need is different. And this is an easy example, right? And and this is a cliche and generalization again, but if it's like if you're in Beverly Hills, there most likely won't be a lot of foster parents or foster children in your community. Uh, Primarily, historically, it's changing, but a lot of the foster parents were located near um, where the kids get removed, and the majority of that happens in low-income neighborhoods. Um, you know, $600 to $1,500 is not a lot to a family that's busy and that already has a whole family of their own. You know, but for families that are in low-income communities, this does help them kind of assist themselves and provide that support. And to me, you know, I, people talk about that, you know, but it's it's a whole other topic we can get into. <laughs> Well, and I know you also have birthday boxes, which I absolutely love. I can't wait for my birthday now <laughs> so I can do a birthday box. Maybe I need to do an unbirthday box, you know. Can you tell us about those as well? Yeah, so the birthday box is really designed for you guys to decorate a, a banner for a child in foster care and, you know, fill up their box and it, they get like a gift certificate to ice cream. It's basically how to throw a party in a box. Um, so it's all the decorations to decorate your room. You know, it's a, a small gift. It's really just gives that experience. And, you know, a lot of kids, and I hate to say this because it's not everyone, but when it's, you know, if it's 200 kids around this country, it's too many. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know when their birthday is. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. And I've heard it time and time again. And I've, you know, this is no discredit to foster parents. There's no discredit to social workers. They're just moving. You know, mm-hmm. they move two to three times per year. And if it happens during that change, you know, when trauma is going on, the social worker is worried about finding them a home, you know, and sometimes those small things get overlooked. And at the end of the day, like their job is to get them a home. Like that's their main key. And unfortunately, in some areas, they have too many caseloads where they can't possibly manage that. And, you know, our job is to help give those tools and resources to the foster parents and the social workers to do so. A lot of these foster parents don't have the funds to go and buy gifts for their kids. And yeah, they're getting money, but that's for living expenses. That's to support their family, to help support that child. Um, and some people, you know, like they don't see it as a big, big deal. Like to me, like, I think it's important. And, you know, I don't want to say that people, kids don't celebrate their birthdays because their parents or social workers don't care. They, they do just sometimes in the midst of the height of the transition, you know, the foster parent might not get all the information for about a week or two when that child is placed. You know, mm-hmm. especially in like an emergency placement, take the kid away on a Friday night, place them Saturday. Social worker says, hey, can they just sleep there at night? Let us figure everything out in the morning or on Monday. And they're like, cool, we'll take them in, make sure they're safe. We're still doing the investigation. And sometimes in that process, that birthday falls in. So our job is to make sure that we stack these offices of social mm-hmm. workers and CPS workers with birthday boxes. They just grab it and take it and they're all decorated by families all over the country you decorate the outside of the box you decorate some of the items inside it's a small simple thing that we take for granted but for that one kid you honestly can change their life and that change of life Mm -hmm. isn't from the birthday box it's that somebody remembered them and remembered that they mattered wow that's so powerful 
It is. It is. That's so beautiful that you do that, man. Seriously, it uh, brings it gets me choked up because I think about how many times when I was homeless. Uh, you know, fortunately, my mom would become super mom no matter what situation we were in. It was birthday or Christmas. I mean, she would go to the dollar store and figure out how to get me three things to to do me that to do that for me. Um, but yeah, thank you for doing that and making that difference in, in kids' lives because I know I, I've known kids that were that were like that that didn't have anything for their birthday or for Christmas or for anything else. Um, so thank you for doing that. And one of the things that you know, I love about the, 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 the physical stuff, you know, that we can get them, but you know, in terms of the, going back to the PTSD you talk about and talk about the, uh, life skills that these kids need to learn. Is there any, any part of your program that addresses that being able to remediate some skills or give them life skills? Cause I know personally, um, I use, you probably familiar with Olive Crest Children's Foundation, obviously. Um, so I've done a lot of work mentoring with them out here in Riverside, gone to the group homes out there and mentored all those kids. So through that organization, I've found a way to use my gifts to be able to give back to those kids. But is there a part of your program that addresses that as well? Yeah. So there, there's two parts. We, we do provide um, uh, scholarships to, to college foster youth and we do mentor them and participate, guarantee them internships, make sure they get jobs. Um, through COVID, uh, we've you know provided over 1,200 kids with hundreds of thousands of dollars dispersed between all of them for housing, for you know paying utilities, making sure that they have you know uh, interview clothes, and making sure that they can find a mentor and educating on them. Um, but for the most part, you know it's more focused on that youth getting through the school side. Um, our job primarily is we like to see ourselves as like an introduction to foster care. Um, we tell a story so that you learn about it and can get involved in an easy way. And then we want to work your way up to it. We want to introduce you to CASA, which are the court appointed special advocates to, to find them in your county and go be a mentor. Um, it, we think it's really, really important for, for people to have an easy way in versus, you know, be overwhelmed and scared by saying, Hey, you can be a foster parent or a mentor. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa like, let's start small. Let's sponsor a duffel bag. If you want to sponsor a bike, you want to sponsor a kid to go to Disneyland, start there, start learning about how these kids are treated, what they go through. And that's usually when we get the best result. Um, so we that's kind of our specific focus. And we do have you know programs throughout uh, all ages from shopping sprees for teenagers to the scholarships and, and bikes so they you know have transportation to work. But our main key is that introductionary to the to what's going on in the world without, you know, overwhelming these uh, potential foster parents or mentors or supporters. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's really amazing. And I think, you know, one of the things I, I want to just kind of add to this, I, I noticed there's a lot of comments coming in from the audience. And so I want to be able to share some of these, but, you know, I, I find it interesting that this is something that has been kind of undiscussed in my opinion up to this point when it comes to foster care really and, and the world of adoption. It's just this idea of trauma, the impact that losing parents has on children. You know, there's sort of this um, kind of like pie in the sky, like, oh, well, you found a family, so it's all good now kind of thinking that's gone on in the past. And I think, you know, like you were saying, we're, we're waking up to the fact 
that's not really necessarily always the case. And so I'm, I'm curious to know um, how you foresee that might change in the future if there's some evolution taking place there. So I want, I want you to have a chance to talk about that. But before we jump into it, I just want to have a chance to kind of say hi to everyone. I've seen Twain Mason on here. Thank you for being here, Twain. Scott, thanks for being here. Erica, Esther, Temi, really appreciate you all coming on, sharing your thoughts with us tonight. Really great answers that have come up. And we'll come back to those a little bit later here because I want to address some of the comments that have been made, but I'll let you speak to my question now. Yeah, I think uh, this is where Hollywood really uh, plays a role in this, right? Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the, I mean, naturally, somehow, I don't know the science behind it, but the negative news sticks with us longer than the positive news. And when we see these movies about, uh, you know, you adopt a child, next thing you know, they're in your room with a knife and it's a horror flick. It's just, those stick with us. I mean, I, I yeah. had this conversation with family members of, you know, they're huge, huge foster care advocates in adoption. They're like, well, what if they have issues? And, you know, I, I personally tried to run, run away from my home like four times and, you know, there, <laughs> I had no issues. Those issues came from my parents, <laughs> you know, so I think it's hard. I think uh, we hold children in foster care that, you know, are potentially for adoption or that are adoptable at a different standard, right? When a child has a bad day, you know, most likely they'll call their social worker and be like, this child is not the one for me. Mm. And when our children do it, our, you know, I see it at the mall. I see it, at, you know, when we used to be able to go to the stores, kids are on the floor crying. Like I, I personally don't comment because I know one day that might be me, but <laughs> kids act out, they're learning. And unfortunately some of the, the, the youth in foster care, yes, they have gone through trauma uh, 100%. We're not gonna neglect that fact. Can they, you know, transition into what people think a normal child is, 100%. And your normal is different between everything else. And I think that going into foster care, you know, first of all, not all foster kids are adoptable. Foster care is, hey, you are being a support family for this youth until their parents get better. Reunification is always the best. Obviously, there's certain acts that I believe should never be reunified, right? There's, that's a whole different scenario. But your goal is to be there and support them. You know, if their parents aren't getting out of jail or they've committed something that, you know, adoption isn't a thing, you know, it is a process for these youth to to kind of reintegrate, right? Like yeah, I've had youth that, you know, they a common thing that I've seen is, you know, kids that come from families that never fed them, they will hoard food. They will hide food under their beds mm -hmm. before adoption or after. Yep. They have to learn about the food insecurities that they're facing because of what they grew up with. Will they, you know, eventually, you know, adjust? Yeah, 100%. I think it's just harder for some families to accept that they, it's a, it's a process, right? No mm -hmm. child that has been through what they've been through is going to be to their standard of normal overnight. I mean, I, yeah. it takes a lot for a, for a social worker in, in general, like I said, there are, extreme cases that they just make these decisions but it it takes a lot for a social worker to say hey you are safer in a random house than with your family mm -hmm. and they do understand the consequences of their choices and when they pull that child out it's for the best mm -hmm. and when they're put up for adoption in theory generally speaking it's for the best and i think that providing the right training to potential foster parents for adoption is really the key for that, right? It's not 
this child needs to be fixed. It's you need to understand how that child is going to adjust and how they're going to get to their form of normal. And it's just a time period. So it's, you know, if people can understand that, I mean, these kids are amazing. I've never met a foster parent that regretted their adoption, hands down. I, you know, they all said it was not easy. I mean, I repeat that to the day and we post a lot of incredible adoption stories. And sometimes we do it, we try to put it, hey, like this is a success story. You do not see the work. It's just like when you post on Instagram a picture of a nice car that you bought, nobody knows what you put in to actually do it. Mm-hmm. And I hope people that they're not deterred, they shouldn't be deterred by that. You know, you should, you should understand that if you are there for the child, you're there for the child. No child is perfect. I mean, half the things that happen from kids, shootings or whatever, you know, it's, it's not from generally a foster student. It's just a, a kid that was going through some trauma and no one knew how to address it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important for people to understand too, you know, like you were saying earlier that you're not necessarily expecting everyone to be a good fit for being a parent. You know, there are so many ways to get involved and so many things to do, but if you're that person that feels like maybe you've been called to do something like that, you know, I think for a lot of people, there could be hesitation around that because they don't know a lot about the system or maybe they feel like, well, you know, can I really trust that the social workers are going to be, you know, working with this child in, in a way that that I agree with? You know, I feel, you know, what if I don't feel like they're supporting them the way they should be? Because, I mean, you know, we all kind of hear these horror stories or maybe we've grown up around people that, you know, were in foster care or maybe their families fostered and the family that fostered was not a very good family, you know what I mean? And so can you speak a little bit to just some of those hesitations? I mean, the the hesitation has to do with, you know, your expectations and your training. Um, There are many, many foster parents that turn over within the first three months. That is a 100% lack of training. And then there's also, I mean, we have this, uh, experience after we take kids to Disneyland every single year. You know, we have 350 kids that have been separated from their siblings. We coordinate their foster parents to bring to reunite them, have the best day on earth, photographers, everything. Half of our volunteers want to adopt those kids and take them home right now. And so what we have to do is we like we have to give them a cool down period. We're like, listen, contact us in two weeks. Mm-hmm. If you even just want to we're not adoption is not even on the table. It's just if you ever want to see your kid again, we can try to and you know after we say that, you know, 15% actually call us back. And that's because, you know, when you go into foster, you're so excited. You know, so lot, some people go in because of infertility fertility and they can't have kids and they, and then they, they get to the reality of it and, you know, they get deterred. It's really just understanding that you're going in for the child. They're in foster care because there's a need. There's a need for you to be there and go through that with them right? It is scary that they're acting out. Um, but all they're used to is the moment they act out, they get a new home. That's mm-hmm. their reality. And that's what they're used to. They just, hey, you know, you had a disagreement, you got an argument, you did something bad. The next day, there's a social worker at his door, taking his stuff in trash bags. Mm-hmm. That right there is, I can't imagine what they go through. Mm-hmm. And I think parents need to just be more informed you know, and not jump to step. And I get a lot of comments that say, I'm trying to be a foster parent. She won't call me back. She won't do this. And to be honest with you, it's because social workers get hit up by so many flaky people 
that they start to get deterred. Like we, I, I love what I do because I'm like sitting here like showing, I'm sorry, my, you're fine. <laughs> I, I'm like revitalizing that hope in social workers that, you know, that's still possible that people do care. These people aren't going to flake on you because they're so used to of like, okay, we'll set up a time to come talk about it. They don't show up. Yeah. And, you know, they start, that affects their work nationwide. You know, social workers feel the fatigue and then, then that breaks down the relationship between the foster parent and the social worker. And, you know, it, it's, it's a lot. And, you know, we don't even know if the, and the social worker has to deal with this drama like 50 times a week of another kid, something happened, how to fix that. And they have too many cases, you know, and they're making, I mean, they're not making good money. They're, they're just, they're making money to survive. And, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful when I say they don't make good money, depending on what part of the country you live in, but they're putting up with a lot. They're the things that are going through their mental health on their own. Mm -hmm. like they should get free access mm -hmm. to their own mental health, you know, right. for counselors says they go through it, right? Because it takes a special person. So I just say to the parents that want to do it, like, if you want to do it, do it. Is it going to be easy? No. Nothing in life that's worth it is easy. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to change a child's life, that's work. And if you meet a foster parent, even if you think they're doing it for the money, support them. Mm -hmm. Change the narrative for them. Make them feel like, wow, like, People think I'm a really good person. Maybe I should be. Maybe, maybe yeah. Maybe they'll help me. And you know, I think that's really the narrative we have to change. That's one of the biggest. One of the biggest impacts you can make is is being there for you know a youth and being there for somebody who doesn't have anything, especially kids and, and teens and at risk youth. Um, when I think about when I think about you know fostering, and I've actually I've I've gone the adoption route. I actually adopted my son from birth, and in knowing the foster care system and everything, what back in the day they used to have big brother and big sister. I don't know if they have that anymore, but for somebody who is not wanting to become a foster parent but wants to become more involved in a volunteer, what does that intermediary step look like? And is that something through your organization or something that you can direct them through? Um, talk to us a little bit about that because I know for me when I first got into it, I went to the Corona Police Department and I said and I found out from somebody that they had a mentoring program for kids that were in juvenile hall. So I went through the background screening, got all that done, got the fingerprints and wound up being assigned a kid that was in juvenile hall that got out and wound up mentoring them. But what can people do if they want to be a little bit more involved, but not as involved as a foster parent? Yeah, if you're looking to get involved once per quarter, so once every three months or once, you know, twice, two to four times a year, uh, Together You Rise is the best place to go. You, know, you can go to our website, Together You Rise, hit the volunteer forms, insert your email, and then we'll share with you the opportunities available, whether it's sponsorship, whether it's dropping off items, or whether it's, you know, taking a kid shopping during the holidays. You know, um, the, the other step is if you feel that you're ready for a one time per month, two year commitment, is be a CASA. Be a core appointed special advocate and support them. Um, we are launching a new program um, next month called Foster Together. And that program is made for families, friends, or groups that want to support a foster family. So you're not working with the kids. You're there to find the needs of what the foster family and help them. So we ask everyone that as a group commitment to be a total of $150. So everyone's pitching in 20 to 40 bucks a month individually in your group. And you are buying things that they need to support their family because at the end of the day, you know, it's like treating your employees right. And that's something that we're, we're learning a lot about as we grow, you know, is retention. And you, these people are the reason we can help a lot of kids. How do we keep them on our team? And this is the same thing for soul, uh, foster parents. These people are the people that are 
handling and, and facing and working and changing and being supportive and every they're everything to this kid. And so they need to be supported. They need to be showed love. They need to be showed that they matter. And I think that's a big portion that we're missing. But back to the original question, if you want once a month real work, be a CASA if you want to just give back quarterly. And as you know, occasionally when you when you have the the privilege to do so, I think Together you Rise is a great place. Mm. Awesome. Well, and and kind of to that same point for people who maybe are interested in doing a little bit more, you know, maybe they do want to consider fostering. How can they start educating themselves? Where can they go to start to learn more about what it would really mean to do that? Yeah. So. Every foster agency does like a foster parent orientation before you become a foster parent. I would highly recommend that. Um, there are foster parent groups on Facebook and other websites. I would caution you on that because that's where people are going to share their stories. And, you know, it's from what I've seen, you know, it, it's difficult. You know, sometimes I'm just like, how are you a foster parent? You know, like, how did you get past the gates and you are taking care of these children? Because the question you ask is in your training. You should know. The, so I would caution you on that just because it's it's raw and real, um, you know, but it is also, you know, we foster parents have to they have to be educated. You have to be accountable. It's it's a job. I mean, think about this. Every aspect of a child's life in the foster care system, you need a higher degree. Ed degree to deal with them, whether it's, and I, I'm sorry I said deal, but to, to be a part of their lives, whether you're their social worker, you need a master's degree, whether you're, you know, they're like uh, on the psych side or the, you know, the counseling side, you need a, a degree. Um, CPS workers need a degree. It's just when it comes down to the parent, there's no education needed at any point. It's just, here you go. Here's your 12 hours of training um, and, and good luck. And, right. and I say that with, yeah, they do get resources, but man, it takes, I think normal people should have to take parenting classes to have children. It's a lot of work. And if you're now working with a trauma-informed youth with 12 yeah. to 15 hours and you expect success, there is no possible way, but you know, Back to the original question, because I'm very passionate about the subject. Go contact your local foster agency. Just Google the county that you live in. A bunch will pop up. They're private organizations. And uh, find out when their foster parent orientation is. And I would just say they're not going to respond to you tomorrow. They're not in sales or marketing. <laughs> they focus on the children. So they may be a little delayed on that. But they will provide you with a day where you can go with your family at your luxury, hopefully now even on Zoom or Skype or Google Meets or whatever, and you can learn about it. I think that's honestly the, the best way to get a real, real, true look at it. Awesome. Well, and I want people to have an opportunity to know how to get a hold of you. It looks like the best way is probably either your website. They can also go find you on Facebook, correct? Yeah, just go, just go into, sorry, the sun setting here, but uh, go into to Facebook and just type in Together We Rise or go to togetherwerise.org and just give us your email. And that's where we really, you know, share our opportunities. Um, it's been a little bit different. You know, we've uh, limited our volunteer opportunities. Uh, we've, we've had, we do private volunteer events right now. We don't open it to the public. And that's whether a church reaches out or there. Interestingly, there is a lot of groups that do want to make a difference right now. 
Um, we're not really sharing those publicly just because we, you know, COVID is real, you know, whether you believe it or not, it affects everyone differently. And so we want to be respectful of that fact, you know, as a, as a young person, you know, I'm, I'm in a privileged position to, it doesn't affect me statistically as much as it would for someone that, you know, is caring for the elderly, um, elderly. And so, you know, we just uh, are limited on volunteer opportunities probably for the next four months. Um, but if you do have a group that wants to volunteer in your own private home or your own private business, just with you all, um, there we do have those opportunities. They're just not something we share publicly. It's just for everyone's safety and, you know, to respect everyone's views on what's going on. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad that people are going to have, you know, this information. If you've been watching and you've gotten some value from this, please share it out. We really want to get these messages out to people so that there's more understanding around not just the system, but what all of us can do, because it really does have an impact on all of society. And that was one of the things that we kind of touched on earlier. But I would love for you to just kind of close with, you know, what your thoughts are around this question of how does it impact society as a whole when we all help support kids who have been through trauma like this? I mean, I, I think we've all experienced it at one time, you know, things being stolen from us, from cars getting broken into, to to seeing people on the side of the freeways, where, wherever you live, you know, it's it's sad and you always wonder, you know, what could they have done or how did they get addicted to, to change that? And to, to be honest, a large majority of it, from about 70% experienced foster care. And, you know, when you turn 18 and you get kicked out and you have no parents, you, you you don't, it's not whether you chose drugs or not, it's like you have nothing, no one's there for you. And that's where we really can make a difference and, and be that phone call that they could make or be that, that mentor that gave them the right advice or honestly just believing in a child, you know, whether you met them once at a shopping spree and saying, hey, like, you're gonna do great things with your life, I see it in you. And that kid to one day say, hey, like, I wasn't the only one that saw it. That's where, it, where we would really see the impact in society because they're not going to end up in jail. They're not going to end up homeless. They're going to be, you know, productive members of society because one person believed in them. That's so powerful. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I wanted to also share this comment from Zubair. He says, absolutely, we can shape a better future for our children by improving their self-image as they are born with talents not anyone can teach them nor anyone can teach them so yeah i i think that's so true you know when we when we let children know how important how valuable they really are it changes not just their world but the world around them so i just so greatly appreciate the work you're doing and for taking the time to come here and share your message with us um any closing thoughts from you christopher <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm super passionate about this subject and I just want to just applaud you uh, and everybody that's that goes into the organization that you uh, impact so many people. I have, like I said, I've spoken to so many at-risk kids and kids in foster care, um, kids on the street. I was one of those kids on the street. So what you and your, your team are doing is massively important. And thank you so much for having the heart and the soul to do that. Whatever, since I'm local to you, we'll talk offline, but whatever support I can give you as well, from my aspect, I would love to do that as well, because I'm super, super, super passionate about our youth and what we could do today to, uh, to change some of the shit that we've done that's kind of screwed them up and take some responsibility for that as a world to, to help heal our youth because they're, they're our voice for tomorrow. They're our leadership for tomorrow. So I just want to applaud and say thank you so much for what it is that you do. Amen. Thank you all so much for, for you allowing me to use this platform to, to share the good message. 
Thank yeah. you. And hang on for just a second. I just you want to thank again the audience for being here with us. Um, you know, you guys are amazing. You support us every week. You're always here with your comments and your love, and we appreciate you so much for that. So lots of love going out to all of you tonight and have a wonderful rest of your evening. We'll see you next week. We want to thank you for listening today. We know you have many choices for content and we are grateful you chose us. You can always find more of our episodes at the Energy Healing Network on YouTube. Please do make sure to subscribe to the channel so you can easily find more episodes or watch when we go live. Thank you again for listening and sharing these messages with others who you wish to encourage and uplift.